Hello, and welcome back to the Sidekick Critic Podcast. As always, I am your host, Andrew Crosby, and I am delighted to be here with you for the return of this film and entertainment industry podcast. If you are a listener, uh, you may have noticed I have not posted anything, any new episodes, any content in over a month now. I had mentioned in my last episode that I was going to London for nine days, and that really broke this habit for me. It was still a relatively new habit. I was really enjoying it. I loved how it's getting me out into see more movies and how I am talking about the movies more and I have people who happen to listen talking to me about movies. I've become the movie guy for so many people I know that it was really creating this itch for me to get back into recording, but with anyone that's picked up a new habit or a new hobbit, a new hobbit, a new habit, uh, you know that if you break that habit in the early phases, it's very hard to get back into it. So I actually had recorded an episode after returning. I recorded a Harry Potter episode, a special episode, and while I was excited about that, it didn't instill that same drive and itch in me to get it edited and get it uploaded and post content. Instead, it just kind of sat there unedited for weeks, and I came to the realization this last week that it's time to move on. It's time to do something new, get back to what I enjoy most, which is just talking about movies. So I'm here today to talk about movies again. Um... I have decided that I will not be posting episodes on YouTube for the foreseeable future. Video editing takes a lot more work and a lot more time that with a full-time job a and a life, I just don't have the time to commit to. So if you're looking for full episodes of the Sidekick Critics pod, podcast, Spotify is where to go. All my full episodes will, post, will be posted there. Follow me on TikTok and Instagram at Sidekick Critic as I get back into posting stories and clips and my thoughts and my movie-going experiences. In this month I've been gone, I've seen a bunch of movies. I saw eight movies in April, um, and I'm very excited about a lot of them. I'm very excited to talk about them with you. As I recap these recent movies, this will likely be broken into a two-part episode because it's going to be very long and it'll just be easier to take in and listen and digest in two parts. Um, And I hope you listen to both parts because there's going to be some movies in part one that I'm more excited about or some movies in part two that I really hope you hear about because you might not know about them. Um, I'm going to start with what has been one of the biggest releases of this year so far, the Super Mario Brothers movie. So I'm going to dive right into my one-minute review for Super Mario Brothers. I I did enjoy this movie. I thought it was good, not great. I, I thought I went in with expectations that for some reason that it might be more along the lines of, let's say, Frozen, a animated kids movie that does have some stronger themes and plot to it, but the movie is very surface level. And it's almost like they looked at the Super Mario Brothers video games and said, you know what, let's just turn this game directly into a movie, and that's that. There wasn't much depth to the movie, and honestly, that's okay. It is a kid's movie. Looking at it now, I know it's a kid's movie, but that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it. I had, uh, Someone asked me, why are you going to see that? It's a kid's movie. Because Mario was a part of my childhood. I love Mario, so I'm going to go see a Mario movie. Overall, I'm going to give the movie a 7.6 out of 10. It's uh, in the upper third of the movies I've seen this year, but not the best by far. I'm really happy I saw it in theaters, and I think other people should see it in theaters. 
regardless, if you've ever played a Mario video game, whether it be Mario Party, Mario Kart, or Super Smash, this movie is worth watching. Now, let's look at it a little bit deeper. Uh, as the cast for this movie, you have Chris, Pat, Chris Pratt playing Mario, Charlie Day voices Luigi, Anya Taylor-Joy is the vo voice for Princess Peach, as I'm sure even those who aren't interested in the movie know, Jack Black is the voice for Bowser with his song Peaches, which has become a internet meme and hit. Uh, you have Keegan-Michael Key playing Mario's sidekick Toad, and you have Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong. The voice acting in this movie is great. Uh, a couple times I did notice who it was, uh, specifically with Charlie Day and Seth Rogen as Luigi and Donkey Kong uh, respectively, I, I was able to pick up on their voices and at a certain point it kind of clicked in my head that this is who they are and for the next 15 minutes I saw them and not their animated characters, but the voice acting is really good in this movie. I know a lot of people are worried about Chris Pratt as Mario and the less Italian-esque Mario that they went with, but I actually enjoyed it. I thought he was very good. He brought life to this animated character, which is all you could really ask for when someone's doing a voice role. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about this movie and what it means for Nintendo. Uh, this is the start of Nintendo's cinematic journey, so to say, as they take their massive breadth of characters and put them into movies and develop them further and give them more of a story. And I hope to see them really... Uh, latch on to that story aspect they can have and the lore behind their characters. There's characters like Link in Zelda or Metroid that do have a lot of lore behind them and you can tell a really compelling and interesting story with. As I said, this movie was geared towards kids and is more of a kids movie than anything else. I'm seeing a lot of comparisons with it towards other video game movies and how it's the best video game movie and I, I feel like that's a disingenuine comparison because this is more just an animated kids film than a video game film. When you're comparing it to something like the World of Warcraft or Assassin's Creed or the Halo show or even Dungeons and Dragons, those are all use the game as a base to tell a story versus this is just a Mario game but make it a movie and it doesn't have a lot of story aspect to it, a lot of themes behind it in my opinion. A lot more childish than I expected, but I do think that's the result of my own expectation going into the movie, and that's something I'll touch on one day. I think I've mentioned it before, how to deal with expectations when seeing a movie. Um, and going in with that expectation, it left me a little bit let down as I was expecting more out of it, but that doesn't mean it was an unenjoyable movie. It was very cute, and I... I probably will watch it again someday when I'm really bored or if I have a kid of my own one day or with my fiance's little sister if she wants to watch it but I'm not going to go out of my way to rewatch this movie despite the fact that I enjoyed it I think seeing it that one time was enough as someone that's played multiple Mario games I will say there were certain scenes that really brought that nostalgia out in me because it was like really interesting to see that 2D landscape of Mario running through a course, but then the camera starts to spin and you get it in a 3D perspective. It was really neat getting it in that point of view and being able to see the influences that all the various Mario games had on the movie. I really enjoyed that aspect of it as well. Uh, 
that said with my thoughts on the movie, it's uh, inarguable that this movie has been a massive success for Nintendo. It opened to the tune of $146 million, and so far I think it's been out for just about a month now. It's done $1.1 billion worldwide. Those are massive numbers. It's actually closing in on the record for the highest domestic grossing animated movie in history. Uh, in the lead currently is Incredibles 2, which did $608 million domestically. The Lion King remake, which I guess counts as animated, did $543 million domestically. And Super Mario Bros. is at $518 million domestically. That's, that Incredibles 2 number is kind of the goal for all animated movies, and nothing's really come close to it lately. Nothing's really even seemed to have a shot at it, but Super Mario Brothers does have a good chance to make it there. It's got some steep competition, though, as this weekend Guardians of the Galaxy came out, and there's a lot of overlap in the potential audiences there, so sitting $90 million away as of uh, the what's it, the first weekend in May, I'm not quite sure it'll get there, but I I do believe it can pass the Lion King at 543. Outside of that domestic total, uh, it's looking great compared to recent animated movies. When you look at Pixar's release last year, The Strange World, uh, Strange World only opened to the tune of $12 million, but even worse, it only grossed $73 million worldwide, which is really not good numbers for Pixar at all or for animated movies. And when you look at what DreamWorks put out in Puss in Boots' The Last Wish, that also opened with $12 million, but that exploded and had such a long life to rack up $480 million worldwide was incredible. And Mario surpassed that by a hefty clip and... This movie has had great legs. It's been a month where it has been at the top of the box office despite tons of other movies coming out. So it's exciting to see animated movies are still drawing crowds. And I hope Disney returns to releasing more of their films in theaters. It's been since the pandemic and since the release of Disney Plus, Disney has shunned a lot of their animated movies to Disney Plus. And I think that's actually been harmful for their other animated movies. Especially when you look at something like Strange World, which I thought was a cute and good movie and had a good message. It is kind of put in the back burner in the back of your mind because you're like, I know I can watch this on Disney Plus in two, three months. I think we need to revert back a little bit to you movies in theaters for two months. You won't see it for six months at home, though. And that's fine because that will incentivize people to get into theaters and watch movies. Like I said, 7.6 out of 10 for the Super Mario Brothers movie. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a good movie. I did want more, however. So that's kind of my thoughts there for that. Um, We're doing almost a complete 180 in terms of movie tone and type here. Uh, The next movie I want to talk about that I am excited to talk about is Guy Ritchie's The Covenant. Uh, It stars Jake Gyllenhaal as John Kinley, Darcelim as Ahmed, directed by Guy Ritchie. Before I give you my deeper thoughts, here's my one-minute review for Guy Ritchie's The Covenant. This is just a really, really solid war movie. Every few years, one of these comes out, and you're just like, okay, this will be in my rotation. This will be on TBS or TNT or FX for years to come. If I need a stupid action movie on in the background while I'm folding laundry, this is a great option. 
Uh, it's just solid all around. Great performances by Jake Gyllenhaal and Darcy Lim. Um, had some gorgeous cinematic shots of the Afghan landscape. And I couldn't have asked for any more from a war movie. I'd only seen the trailer for this one time, and for some reason it stuck in my mind. I've liked Guy Ritchie's movies in the past, so I was like, let me give it a shot. And I'm really happy I got to see it in theaters. I think an action movie like this is always going to be better on the big screen with that massive sound system around you. I There's still showtimes for it. If you're someone that likes war movies and action movies, I highly suggest you go check it out in theaters because it's better in theaters, especially the climactic moments. It, it really adds having that sound and having that giant screen in front of you. Overall, I'm giving it a 7.4 out of 10, so slightly below Mario there. Um, uh, it's just, it didn't blow me away, but I really did like it. So that's where you get 7.4 out of 10. So, like I said, this is one of those more... It's a war movie based on a modern-day 21st century war, and it joins the likes of The Hurt Locker, Black Hawk Down, and Jarhead as just quality action war movies that I can just throw on in the background and enjoy my time all the time. And I, I think that's really good, but this has a different take on it. It's where those movies are about uh, the process of going through war with your war buddies or alone and adjusting. This is very different in that it's following a sergeant and his uh, translator, the Afghani who became the translator for the U.S. military, which was all too common while the U.S. military was in Afghanistan. They, they set a really unique spin on that relationship and how that bond grows between these people. The pacing of this movie really surprised me. I remember seeing the trailer and thinking this would be like a mystery manhunt almost for more than half the movie. And that wasn't the case. And with the, I don't want to spoil too much for it, but with the change in pacing or the divergence from my expectation, uh, Dar Salim, who played Ahmed, really, really stole the show here. Um, he was, the movie's marketed almost as Jake Gyllenhaal being the main character. Really not until the last third that he's the main character. The first two thirds, it's about Dar Salim and his character Ahmed, the Afghani translator. And that caught me by surprise in the best way. I think I actually liked the movie more because it was less so about this American military sergeant and more about a translator. The movie ended with, uh, as some movies based on true stories do, it ended with facts coming on screen of how there are hundreds of Afghani translators who were promised visas and a life in the United States if they work for the military who have been stranded there and left to live under Taliban rule. So it was very intriguing. It told a really, really good and unique and interesting story, unlike a war movie I've seen in a long time. I highly recommend, like I said in my one-minute review, highly recommend seeing this in theaters. The action just plays better in theaters. When you're looking at this movie by the numbers, it's it's not looking good, especially when you look at Guy Ritchie's resume. The movie opened is $6.3 million, and so far it's only done $15 million uh, worldwide. That's not great. Um, I'm, my comps for this film are five previous Guy Ritchie movies. We have Operation Fortune, which actually came out at the exact same time, Wrath of Man, 
the gentleman, King Arthur, and Aladdin. Uh, starting with the big one, Aladdin, of course, it's a Disney movie. It's the live-action version that opened to the tune of $183 million. It did over a billion worldwide in its total gross. That's kind of an outlier and hard to compare with other Guy Ritchie movies because it's Disney. It's going to do massive numbers. So when you look at something like The Gentleman, which starred Charlie Hunnam and Matthew McConaughey, that opened higher than The Covenant at $10 million, and it is blowing The Covenant out of the water $115 million. I really enjoyed The Gentleman, but I think The Covenant's a better movie, and I think this is almost a sign of what theaters and the movie industry has been dealing with, of these two movies that are... They're not a part of a franchise or a series. They're, their own original IP are making less money than ever before. And, I mean, $115 million for The Gentleman, that wasn't a knockout financial success, but it did well. You're looking at The Covenant that's sitting at $15 million right now in a tough time where it has to go up against Mario and Guardians of the Galaxy and Fast 10 is coming out next month. It's going to be very intriguing to see where this finishes. The other movie I'd mentioned that came out around around the same time as The Covenant was uh, Operation Fortune, which opened less than The Covenant at $3.1 million, but starring Jason Statham, Aubrey Plaza, I think that star power drew out more people. That's sitting at a $37 million gross so far. So it's very intriguing to see Guy Ritchie have two movies out at the same time. I... I'm surprised The Covenant's not doing better. Um, even I know a lot of people critically didn't like King Arthur. Uh, I think it was King Arthur, Legend of the Sto- Sword, also starring Charlie Hunnam. That opened at $15 million. It did $148 worldwide throughout its gross. So Guy Ritchie does have the power to pull in a lot of money and high revenues, but I don't know if it's a product of there are other movies out right now or if this just wasn't really as good as I thought it was, but this movie is not doing well financially. I'm hoping it has long legs. It might be able to stick around in theaters through the summer and just continue making small returns on two to three showings a night at a handful of theaters, but we'll see where it finishes out. Um, Like I said, though, the one thing I can really say about Guy Ritchie's The Covenant is this is a solid, solid war movie. I really did enjoy it. Okay, so continuing on, um, these next two movies I'm going to talk about, I'm going to go through them a little bit quicker here. Um, The first is going to be Renfield. My one-minute review for Renfield is this is just an absolutely ridiculous movie. It's um, over-the-top action, violence, gore. The comedy isn't great, but it's there. Everything about this movie could be better, but it also could be so much worse once again, that expectations going into a movie comes into play where I went into this movie expecting it to be a joke. So I probably like it more than other people will. Um, it stars uh, Nicolas Cage as Dracula, Nicholas Holt as Renfield, Aquafina's in it, Ben Schwartz is in it. This movie could have been a lot better, but I was expecting it to be a lot worse. So overall, I'm giving Renfield a 6.4 out of 10. This is a wait-and-watch-it-at-home-for-free kind of movie, in my opinion. Um, 
I don't have many comps. I didn't actually look into any comps uh, box office wise for this movie because it's just ridiculous. I, I don't feel the need to really talk about it in depth. Uh, 6.4 out of 10 puts it right in the middle of my movies for this year. It's likely going to drop. As the year goes on, it's likely going to drop and I see better and better movies. I'm going to think back to this and be like, how did that land in the sixes originally? Um, but it's done $8 million so far. Nope. Correction, it's done $8 million in its opening, and it's done $23 million so far. Um, so not great numbers. It does make me sad that that's more than The Covenant. I think The Covenant's a movie that um, should receive more money, but I can see Nicolas Cage has become a meme, and I think this movie is making money off of its meme. And that's fine. I think it's good for theaters and studios to make money on unique and interesting stories that aren't franchise. So take what you can get. But I will say this movie is, if you're someone that doesn't like bodily humor, this movie's not for you. It's over the top blood, gore, and violence, far beyond what I had expected, far beyond what the trailers alluded to. So decent, like I said, wait to watch it at home for free. I don't think this movie is worth paying for. One of the benefits of A-List, yet again, I didn't have to pay extra to see this movie. I'm able to just book it and watch it. So, nice and easy. This next movie I am actually very excited about. Uh, Chevalier. We'll start as we always start. My one-minute review for Chevalier. I loved this. The second I saw the trailer for this movie, I absolutely loved it. It's about a French composer, uh, Chevalier... I can't remember his full name right now, unfortunately, but um, during the uh, French Revolution, right before the fall of the French monarchy, and him uh, wrestling with being a black man in this era in France where slavery was still legal, but he was trying to make a name for himself, prove himself, but he's getting put down by those same, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? These racist beliefs. There's an exact term I can't... uh, Some tip my tongue, but I can't figure it out right now. But just a great, great movie. I really enjoyed the story. I love dramatized historical stories. And this did it perfectly. Um, Actually, there's another one of these I'll talk about probably in part two of this episode. But I I thoroughly enjoyed this. 8.1 out of 10. Uh, I would say see it in theaters because the sound is so good, the music, that it's worth having that. If you can't see it in theaters, this is worth watching when it's available at home. So, as I mentioned, I really love historical dramatization movies. Um, A great example of that is The Founder, starring Michael Keaton, the story of McDonald's Empire and how that came to be. Uh, There's also movies like another recent release, Air, I just, I love this style movie. I love the dramatized history. And this did a great job of it. Being a student of history, being able to see the French Revolution from a different lens through the lens of art is fantastic. This isn't a war movie about the revolution. This is a art movie during a revolution. And Kelvin Harrison Jr., who plays Chevalier, Samara Weaving, who plays Marie Josephine, and Lucy Boynton, who play Marie Antoinette, the three of them were incredible, especially Kelvin Harrison Jr. I don't think I've seen him in anything prior, and he absolutely knocked it out of the park for this movie. 
like I said, the music was amazing. I, I think everyone should try to watch this movie. It's making me sad when I look at the numbers for this movie because it only opened to 1.5 million and it's only done 3.1 million on its worldwide gross in under a month, a little under a month. It's been three weeks, I want to say. This movie should be a success. I This, to me, is really a sign of where people say theaters are dying. I, I tend to disagree until I see numbers on a movie like this where I'm like, people aren't going. People are not spending the money to go to movies. I'm leaning more and more towards the belief of, I see a movie like this, there's 10 other people in the theater. Myself, my fiance, plus eight to 10 other people. I think, oh, this looks great. If the movie's able to replicate this at showtimes across the country, it's going to be a financial success. It's not going to be a massive success along the lines of Mario, but it's going to do well to warrant more movies like this. I think I'm beginning to realize a lot of those people are A-list, A-list members and it's the movie is not replicating that success outside of where I am. So there's not many comps I have right now because I think looking at something like Vice or The Big Short, drama, dramatized historical tellings, those movies are from a big name director featuring a star-studded cast from a big studio it's it's not fair to compare them, so I'm not going to compare it. But I really hope this movie gets some love as it gets released at home. I really do believe everyone should watch it. I was intrigued by the story of the revolution and forbidden romance and the creation of music and art. It's just truly a masterpiece. Please go check out Chevalier. I absolutely loved it. Okay, so... The last movie I want to talk about for part one, uh, one of my most highly anticipated movies this year, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. Without further ado, here's my one minute review for Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. This movie was absolutely incredible. It caps off what is now the best trilogy in the MCU. It is arguably the best Marvel movie since Endgame. Uh, a truly perfect trilogy. There is really what was different about this was there was so much heart in this movie. You can tell the cast and James Gunn and all the crew really felt this. This wasn't a cog in the Disney Marvel machine. This was the final piece of a terrific story. Cannot say enough good things about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. 9.4 out of 10 for me. 100% worth seeing in theaters vaulted to the top of my list best move of the year so far so i've said a lot of things in that one minute review there that i actually want to touch on a little bit more the first is arguably the best movie since endgame let's look at what's come out since endgame you have the second spider-man which was far from home you had black widow shang chi eternals spider-man no way home a breath of disney plus shows then you have Doctor Strange into the Multiverse of Madness, Thor Love and Thunder, Black Panther 2, Ant-Man and the Wasps, Quantumanium. Uh, only one movie even comes is even worth comparing with this, and that's Spider-Man No Way Home. That's one of the best comic book movies I've ever seen. Guardians is one of my favorite movies. Guardians Volume 3 specifically because... 
to kind of wrap this into another point, this was the perfect trilogy. Marvel has had some issues with their uh, formula in these trilogies, whereas you get into some of them, they kind of lose the magic of what made the first one great. Especially as you look at the fourth Thor movie or the third Ant-Man movie, something about those really didn't connect and hit with me. And I've been really denying it for quite a while, but there has been kind of a Marvel superhero fatigue that's settled not only on audiences at large, but also on me a little bit. It's really nice to have something like Guardians where I didn't feel that fatigue. I went in with sky-high expectations and they were fully met. The best thing about this movie is the heart it had. Like I said, the cast and crew, they they wanted to tell their last piece of the Guardian story. Of this iteration of the Guardians of the Galaxy, they wanted to tell the story as best they could, and they really did. All of the characters had their stories rounded out in an incredibly satisfying fashion, even given what's happened to characters like Amora and Quill and Rocket and Groot. It was... That progression felt so natural. Even when they're included in movies outside of James Gunn and his story, he's able to fit that into his story in, or ignore aspects of it that just make it right. And it's really clear that he had a clear vision for the Guardians of the Galaxy from the start and possibilities of where the story might go. Maybe not exactly, but an idea on it. And he executed it to near perfection in what has become an increasingly difficult MCU environment. You're seeing more and more articles and reports of Disney kind of uh, pushing the envelope a bit and deciding this is what needs to be in this movie for this later movie or this later show or vice versa. So it's really good to see that kind of scaled back a bit. Um, once again, the performances are incredible. Uh, Chris Pratt as Peter Quill or Star-Lord, Dave Bautista as Drax, Zoe Saldana as Gamora, Karen Gillian as Nebula, Vin Diesel voicing Drax, Bradley Cooper voicing Rocket, Sean Gunn playing Kraglin or standing in as Rocket, Palm Clementif as Mantis featuring two newcomers, Will Poulter as Adam Warlock and Chukwudi Iwuji as the High Evolutionary. The two of them are great. Will Poulter brought a lot of wry humor and comedy to it, which I loved personally. And then... Uh, Chukwudi was incredible, another installment of a great Marvel villain. It's really interesting. There's been kind of a pattern of the Marvel villains in these movies have been better, the best aspect of these films lately. It's very intriguing to see that and think of that. Uh, looking back at Quantumania and Black Panther, Thor, uh, you have Kang, Namor, and... Uh, Gore the God Butcher, respectively, in those movies, great villains, some of Marvel's best villains. Pre-Thanos, a lot of the complaints from Marvel were that their villains were forgettable. They weren't great. When you're looking at iconic villains like the Joker, so to say, that's one of the best aspects of the Dark Knight film versus the earlier, like Whiplash and Iron Man 2 or Red Skull. They weren't, they didn't create these iconic villains that you'd think about for years to come. Now, in these more recent phases, I'm leaving these movies thinking this movie was too long. They did too much. They could have trimmed 30 minutes of what they had and added 30 minutes of Christian Bale's gore. Or add another 15 minutes of Kang in Ant-Man. 
it's very interesting to see this paradigm shift kind of in what Marvel's been doing. I'm recording this in what's still the first weekend, so looking at the by the numbers is a little tricky right now. It's The movie's tracking to open at $114 million domestically. Uh, it's looking to hit, I believe, 260 I believe 260 internationally its first weekend, which is decent, but is once again these numbers are supporting a real Marvel fatigue. Looking comparing at first to the first two Guardians movies, this is opening higher than Guardians Volume One, where Guardians was completely unknown to non-comic book readers uh, and to non-deep comic book readers. That still opened at 94 million in it. It was a massive critical success, ballooned to $772 million in its worldwide gross. You go to Guardians Volume 2, where people wanted more Guardians. They were ready for it. That opened to the tune of $146 million and leveled out to $863 worldwide. So that $114 is in the middle. It's closer to the first one, which is a little bit of a disappointment when you know the level of popularity Guardians has had. But I I do believe this movie is going to have fantastic word of mouth. Everyone I know that's watched it has loved it. I have not talked to a single person that didn't love it. It's a really, really solid-ass movie. I think it has a chance to catch Guardians 1. Guardians 1 being at 772 million. I'm positive, positive it's going to pass Ant-Man 3. Ant-Man opened to the tune of 106 million and capped off at 474 million worldwide. A not a failure, but a financial disappointment for Marvel. One of their first big financial disappointments in a very long time. You look at previous numbers on movies, you had the pandemic that kind of put a disappointment on financial numbers on hold as people were getting back into theaters. You look post-pandemic. Black Panther 2 grossed $859 million. Thor 4, Thor 4, more Thor, Thor 4, more Thor than before, as they should have called it. Uh, that opened at $144 million and grossed $760. I think that's a realistic goal and expectation for Guardians Volume 3 to hit. If it's somehow able to pass the gross on Black Panther 2, this movie will be a massive success. Like I said, it is... The best Marvel movie in Phase 4 and 5, in my opinion. I absolutely loved it. Another installment of a great villain. The best character stories in Marvel, I think, beginning to end so far. They just really nailed it. This movie had, as I keep saying, it had the heart that I was missing in Marvel movies. And the emotion in this movie was truly at another level. Absolutely loved it. So that's why Guardians got a 9.4 out of 10 for me. It is, as of right now, my favorite movie of the year. I think that'll stay that way for the next couple months at least. Oppenheimer has a chance to beat it, but this was one of the movies I was most excited for, and it lived up to my expectations, which were sky high. We saw with Ant-Man, it's very hard to live up to those expectations sometimes, so Guardians Volume 3, being able to do that was really exciting. I highly encourage and suggest... Everyone go see this movie in theaters as soon as possible. Truly a great movie. Truly great. Okay, so that's where part one on my movie reviews is going to end. Let's see, I capped, I recapped Super Mario Brothers, The Covenant, 
Renfield, Chevalier, and Guardians of the Galaxy. So that's five of the eight movies I've seen recently I recapped. I really liked most of those movies. Renfield being the one outlier outside of that. This has been a month that has really solidified A-list for me. I had such a good time watching those movies. I Guardians is the one I think everyone needs to see. If you've seen the other Guardian movies or Marvel movies, this is truly great. If you hadn't, I'd say watch Guardians 1 and 2 and then go watch Guardians 3. You can get by on that story. You don't need to watch all what are we at, 30 other Marvel movies before this, plus seven or eight Marvel shows. Guardians, the perfect trilogy. It really is. Um, The Covenant, worth watching at home. Chevalier, worth watching at home. Super Mario Brothers, if you've played the games, if you have young members of your family or friends that love animated movies, watch that with them. Uh, Renfield, watch it if you're really bored and have nothing to do. I just... It's been a great time for movies. It really has. The rest of May and June slows down a bit before July picks up heavy with great movies again. So I'm going to be there watching all the movies. Follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Sidekick Critic so that you can hear about these movies I see and see my movie going experiences. Uh, like I mentioned at the top of the episode, the Full episodes are available on Spotify, the Sidekick Critic Podcast. I'm so delighted to be back and to be talking about movies with you again. I have genuinely missed this. I'm probably going to stick to movies for the time being. That Harry Potter episode might come out of the vault one day, but for right now, that's put aside as I just want to talk about movies. I'm having a blast seeing all these movies. Eight movies in the month of April, I believe, was my record for most movies in a month. So that was very exciting for me. I think I might actually pass that in May as I'm hoping to see more movies. I watched more movies at home too that I'll talk about with you at some point. So as always, my name is Andrew Crosby. I'm always delighted to be here as the host of the Sidekick Critic Podcast. And I look forward to seeing you next time for part two of my recent movies.